Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us at Reinvent Yourself. I have finally landed the big kahuna, Chip Connolly, the Modern Elder Academy CEO and founder, is finally going to talk to us. And I'm so excited because all roads lead back to Chip. When you talk about midlife and reinvention, he's one of the top gurus out there. And he's just wonderfully inspirational and has been at this for quite a long time and has a unique perspective and experience with it. So here's a little background on Chip, um, culled mostly from his LinkedIn profile, but it will help you know who he is. So at age 26, the New York Times bestselling author Chip Connolly founded Joie de Vivre Hospitality, taking an inner city motel and turning it into the second largest boutique hotel brand in America. Now, he wasn't a bestselling author at that point, but later on became that. Chip was CEO of his innovative company for 24 years and sold it in 2010. Then he accepted an invitation in 2013 from the young founders of Airbnb to help transform their promising home sharing startup into what is today the largest hospitality brand. His new book, which you definitely should take a look at, is called Wisdom at Work, The Making of an Elder, Modern, The Making of a Modern Elder, was inspired by his post 50-year-old experiences as both a mentor and unexpected intern at Airbnb. In January 2018, he founded Modern Elder Academy, the world's first midlife wisdom school, where attendees learn how to repurpose a lifetime of experience for the modern workplace. The Beach French campus is located, weeping, 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 in Baja, California, Sur, Mexico. It looks amazing. Wait till you see the pictures. Chip holds a BA and MBA from Stanford University and an honorary degree in psychology from Saybrook University. He serves on the board of the Encore.org and the advisory board for the Stanford Center for Longevity. So I want to welcome the guru of midlife, Chip <laughs> Conley. I'm so glad. I feel like I've been tracking you down for years. And here you are at last on Reinvent Yourself. Honored to be with you, Leslie. I, if somebody had told me in my high school reunion many years ago that I'd be the, the guru of midlife, I would have probably socked them in the, in the face. Right. Um, <laughs> but look where you are. Who knew? Look at, look at that. And it's, it's wonderful. I mean, literally, I've followed you for a long, long time. Everybody in this area um, has followed you or heard your TED Talks or read your books or heard about uh, the Modern Elder Academy. So it's wonderful. So let's talk, because you have a unique background, and I think a lot of my listeners are um, concerned about, and we did, some, we did a little uh, study with MSNBC about being sort of pushed out of corporate life earlier than they expected. Right. I'd love it if you would talk a little bit about how you found your way into uh, corporate life as a, you called it a mentor at Airbnb? Yeah. Yeah. So well, uh, it's, it's a really interesting story. We live in a world right now where we're living longer, power is moving younger in a digital society, and the world is changing faster. And those three variables um, have got a lot of people in midlife confused, bewildered, and often feeling irrelevant. And 
uh, in certain industries, people feel like they've hit midlife in their early 30s, like the advertising industry, tech, fashion, et cetera. And then, um, you know, we have more and more people who are going to probably work till their mid 70s or later. And so midlife as a period um, is maybe 40 years long now, um, whereas it used to be 20 years long. So I, my story is I was a long time boutique hotelier, started a, founded a boutique hotel company called Joie de Vivre back in the mid 1980s, was one of the first boutique hoteliers in the US and um, created 52 boutique hotels and then sold the company in the Great Recession. Uh, what I learned from that was I still had something inside of me, you know, um, in the movie, The Intern with Robert De Niro, he says, musicians don't retire, they quit when there's no more music left inside of them. So I definitely had music left inside of me. I just wasn't sure who to share it with. And um, my situation is an unusual one. So let's start by saying that I was a relatively high profile person, uh, leader in based in San Francisco, which is a strong economy. And I got approached seven years ago by the three founders of Airbnb um, who wanted me to be uh, their in-house mentor and sort of their, their hospitality expert and, and frankly strategy and leadership and a bunch of things. And uh, just to finish the story quickly, I spent the last seven years with them, four years full time uh, and then three years as a strategic advisor. And what I learned in that process was two key things. Number one is, Brian said he hired me for my knowledge, but three months into it, he said, we hired you for your knowledge, but what you really gave us was your wisdom. I'll come back to that. But that's a pretty important and a profound perspective on how age can be our ally as opposed to our detriment uh, in, the, in the corporate workplace. And then the second thing he said that um, came up was I, I came to realize that what I had to offer was curiosity as much as wisdom. Um, and that's why they started calling me the modern elder because they said I was both a mentor and an intern or uh, what I ended up calling a mentor. Um, and so I would just say that one of the key pieces of feedback I have for people is um, recognize that you're constantly going to be changing and learning in, in your career. And that is that kind of curiosity about life and about what you can learn next. I was 52 years old years old joining a tech company for the first time meant that that curiosity was almost an elixir for um, being energetic, open-minded, uh, and having people sort of lean in and want to listen to me because they didn't know if Chip was going to ask a curious question or just lay down a wise, you know, perspective that nobody else had mentioned. So, um, so those are, that's sort of my story I, that led me to writing a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And do you think that's fairly unique as you say that you are a well-known uh, person out there and so they were able to find you? Because there are a lot of startups that could use wisdom out there and yeah. I'm not hearing a lot of women. And again, the question is, is there a difference going on with men and women? There might be um, being approached in that way. Have you heard that? Yeah, here's a couple of thoughts on that. Um, let's start by saying, yes, I, I was in a pretty privileged position because I... I they needed a what we call what's called a SMEs, S-M-E, a subject matter expert. SMEs. Um, don't sneeze at the SMEs. Um, SME, a SME is basically somebody who can be the um, 
what I call the librarian, <laughs> the person who can actually understand the know-how and know-who of a particular industry that a bunch of younger people are trying to disrupt. Airbnb was doing that for the hospitality industry. But my friend, Dr. Bridget Duffy, who's my age, I'm 59 now. Oops, Bridget, sorry, I just told your age. Um, you, she was the chief experience officer at the Cleveland Clinic. She's a doctor. And she now works with a, a bunch of young um, Young, young entrepreneurs who are trying to disrupt the healthcare industry. But, uh, and, and, but healthcare is complicated. So to try to say, I'm going to go, we're, we're going to have all this technology and we're going to go disrupt an industry that you don't understand means that you don't understand the landmines and the blind spots that actually could blow up your company. So I, I do think that, number one, having subject matter experts who are very open-minded and can be adaptable in their thinking. So if I had, if the number one thing I could offer Airbnb was, how many rooms does a maid clean in an eight-hour shift? That wouldn't have helped much in the home-sharing world, although that helps a lot in the hotel world. So you have to be adaptable. In terms of men versus women, you know, it's hard for me to say as a man. So let's start with that. What I know is um, when we have the Modern Elder Academy, we've had 750 people go through the program with over 60% of them being women. And I would say the success stories in the two years that we've been around have been more women making a success after coming than men. And I think it's both, it's a pretty transformational program. But why is that? Why is it that women, I think it's partly because women are, there's a great Harvard uh, Business Review study on this. Women, women's sense of confidence in the workplace tends to grow with each passing decade. They're more confident in their 30s than their 20s, 40s than their 30s, and 50s than their 40s. Men's confidence in their ability in the workplace and confidence is a proxy for your willingness to learn and to be open to you know not knowing the answer it actually plateaus in, in their early 40s and so i actually think men in their midlife have a harder time adapting than women now there's structural sexism in the workplace <laughs> so let's start with that too and so i think that works against women but women are better networkers on average than men because they just have had to do it. And I think that there's a, there's a, my personal experience is I actually have more confidence in midlife women going out and reinventing themselves than I do in men. I think it's a harder thing for men, um, but it's obviously not impossible. Do you think, and this is the classic, I mean, I always find true, women put their heads down and do the work yeah. and men think it's all gonna come to them or they want someone else to make it come to them a lot. There's yes. sort of my experience with women is they overwork and they don't look up enough. They don't delegate enough as well, possibly. I mean, I think that these, again, these are all generalizations, but I think what's true is um, there's a less of a sense of entitlement in women. The women in the workplace, especially in midlife, have had to earn what they, where they've gotten themselves. Whereas in some cases, men have had a path that might've been a little easier. Um, so having said that, I think that women know how to do the work. I actually think that there's a lot of men who get to certain elevated positions and they don't understand the underlying work that their people are doing. And therefore it's sometimes hard for them to lead them because they don't know when they're off path. So, um, you know, in my company, Joie de Vivre, I ran a company for 24 years, had 3,500 employees, started with one. And uh, my president was a woman, my um, senior VP of ops, a woman. 
head of HR, a woman, the VP of administration, a woman, um, the director of marketing, a woman, director of revenue management, a woman. I had mostly women on my leadership team. And I did that partly because what I felt was, I love the collegiality. This is the other thing. One of the things that I think a lot of people don't recognize is that while IQ doesn't grow as you age, EQ does. And emotional intelligence becomes a more and more important feature in the workplace. Uh, Google did a study recently called Project Aristotle where they were able to show that the most important variable for effective teams was psychological safety. And it's usually the leader who provides the psychological safety. Well, women provide psychological safety better than men in teams. Why is that? Because they're actually more empathetic, they're a little bit softer in their, in their approach to operating, um, and there, there's a sense that they have a, a real empathy for what it means to be the other, um, the person who is maybe not the dominant demographic. And for all those reasons, I think women have, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can go out and help companies see this. Now, this is part of my job, too, is to go out and help companies see why they should hire midlife people again, and especially women. And that's why I've worked a little bit with Diane Flynn and the Reboot Excel team as, as well. So let's talk a little bit about what people do actually face out there. Because I'm hearing more people say, oh my God, I feel like it's happening at 45 now. It used to be that they were feeling it kind of mid-50s. More and more people are saying it feels like it's starting younger. What do you see? What facts do we have? Um, Again, we've, we've done some research and we see that women actually are getting pushed out a little bit earlier than men and their hardest their harder part for them is getting back in for whatever reason well here's the th- here's here's one of the factors and it, this is i think true for both men and women um, of midlife age and maybe it's a, there's a perception with women that it's even more serious and that is that there's a growing obsession in companies with dq digital intelligence um, and this is particularly interesting in, com- in industries like advertising or marketing that have become, you know, moved away from the, the former dominant, you know, advertising vehicles, TV, newspapers, and it's all online today. So if you don't understand online digital marketing, you're in trouble if you're in an ad agency. And there's, there's a sense that digital natives, in other words, millennials or younger, Gen Z, are better at this. There's some truth to that, um, but actually, of course, again, it's a generalization. Where does this become problematic? Well, it becomes hugely problematic when companies get so obsessed with their DQ that they forget about their EQ. (laughs) And what I mean by that is they get so obsessed with hiring a 32-year-old brilliant technologist who understands digital marketing um, so well, but doesn't have emotional intelligence or leadership background or training to properly manage a team. So what could companies do better? And, you know, this is part of my role at Airbnb is take an EQ minded leader who has some good history uh, and understands the space, but may not have the technology chops and, and, and pair them with a young, brilliant technologist. Um, and you can actually create really dynamic teams. Um, why is this maybe affecting women more? I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some uh, 
some kind of judgment that women are not as good at technology as men. I mean, of course, that doesn't make any sense. And in fact, my personal experience has been quite the opposite because as you said, Leslie, women tend to get their, you know, put their sleeves up and get work done. Um, and they're not as much reliant necessarily on admins to do some of that sometimes. And so therefore, I think that they are probably more proficient with technology. But if you're obsessed with DQ and you think men are better at technology than women, there and your 48 year old woman yes i can see why you might be in trouble but that it, it, that let me just say what i've just described is not every company uh, as evidenced by you know all kinds of companies in silicon valley that are signing a pledge about you know focusing on hiring experienced midlife people can you talk about that pledge a bit what is it and how do people find those companies that are doing that it's early stage on this, but uh, Diane's taking, Diane Flynn from Reboot Excel is taking a big role in this to create a longevity pledge that's really oriented toward companies saying that uh, they will be um, more focused on being age neutral and, and trying to create an age-friendly workplace. Um, this is particularly focused right now on technology companies because tech companies, in fact, what's interesting, tech, tech companies uh, as evidenced by the EEOC, government claims, have had more um, claims uh, due to age discrimination than they have gender or race discrimination. So age discrimination is the, is the most um, socially acceptable kind of discrimination in, Sil in Silicon Valley. So that's why uh, uh, Diane and uh, an, a team of people have focused on Silicon Valley first. But once they get a bunch of t companies signed up on this longevity pledge, um, then they will start expanding to lots of companies beyond the technology area. And the intent is to get tech, in essence, the, the, the intent is to help companies realize that only 8% of companies today that have a diversity and inclusion program have expanded that beyond, say, race and gender or sexual orientation to include age. So in essence, this idea that age is an, a blind spot around discrimination is a relatively new phenomenon. That's amazing. That's great. So do we have a sense of when that may, may happen? Or I got to know, go jump back to Diane and ask her what she hasn't written about that. Ask Diane, I'm not as in the loop on that. <laughs> okay. Diane, Diane did teach, she and her partner, um, Patty, taught down at our... Um, uh, Modern Elder Academy a month ago, and we had an amazing group of 18 women in the cohort, or actually I think 20 women in the cohort, um, plus the two of them doing a week-long program on how to re reboot your career and your life in midlife, and it was only women, and it was amazing. I co-led it with them and, and just loved it. Talk a little bit about the Modern Elder Academy and what it is, yep. and what, and, and what um, it it definitely is expensive, so explain who the people are that go there, and well, then what about the people who can't afford that? Exactly. So, um, so here's the premise. So about two and a half years ago, I was at a beach home uh, in Mexico, in Baja, California, an hour north of Cabo San Lucas. So it's in uh, the southern Baja Peninsula. So it's, a, it's pretty close to the U.S. It's only about a two-hour flight from Los Angeles. Um, so I was down there and running on the beach and I had finished my full-time work at Airbnb and was working on my book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And I had this epiphany where I just said, wow, I've interviewed 150 people in midlife and I hear so much bewilderment and sense of irrelevancy. 
and yet we don't have anything in midlife that helps people to uh, reimagine how to repurpose themselves or even to mine their mastery to understand what wisdom that they've built up over the decades in the workplace. So I decided to create the world's first midlife wisdom school, call it the Modern Elder Academy or MEA for short. Um, and um, MEA's intent is to help people to repurpose and, and shift their mindset around aging. Because one of the things we don't realize is how much life we have ahead of us. You know, I, I just turned 59 uh, not too long ago, but I've been predicted based upon two different sites and that I may live till age 98. If I live till age 98, I have barely gotten into the second half of my adult life if I start counting at age 18. And that, you know, when you think that way, like, wow, I've got 40, you know, I've had 41 years behind me of adulthood. I have 39 years of adulthood ahead of me. You start to imagine what are the things I might try to do. And so we help people to understand what is a growth mindset uh, based upon Carol Dweck's work from uh, Stanford, psychologist. And um, so we help people to understand how they could repurpose themselves in new ways out there in the world. Um, the, the cost is 5,500 for a single, 4,000 for a double. It's all inclusive, it includes a massage, includes airport transfers. It's a luxury property on the beach with gourmet meals, healthy meals. But the thing that's important to know is that um, we are a social enterprise. And so 60% um, of the people who've come to the Modern Elder Academy, 750 people from 22 countries, uh, have actually received a scholarship we give them, one of three different levels. And we, so we give about a million and a half dollars a year of scholarships to people because what we believe is wisdom is not taught, it's shared. And so when you have a diverse group of people in the room, some of whom have retired and have a lot of money, but they're not sure what's next, uh, and others who have a lot of purpose, but not a lot of money, they're gonna learn from each other. And so we create the environment and the, in essence, the crucible for those conversations to happen. What do you think are, from the people you've seen go through, what are the most amazing transformations? Can you give me two that are inspirational that you've seen sure. that were dramatic transformations? What I have loved is seeing people come to a workshop not planning on actually starting a business, but in one case, uh, there were two people in a workshop. One of them was bored silly in their corporate job and just could feel like soon enough they couldn't do it any longer. And the other person had actually lost their corporate job and was in between. They both shared a, a, a deep interest in food. Um, and ultimately, over the course of a week of time together on a workshop that wasn't even focused on becoming an entrepreneur, they decided that they would start a, um, a new food delivery service and, and a, a, a catering kitchen um, in, their t in, in a town. They actually happen to both live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, so there's examples like that where people actually meet each other and, and come up with a new idea that they're going to try together. But there's also I, I, you know, examples of people who come and they uh, decide, wow, I have always wanted to try something different. And we have, we have a woman who came as a teacher. She'd been a teacher, but she'd always loved travel. And so she wanted to start a travel business. And she started a, you know, a, a, a travel uh, business you know, out of that. But we've also had people go back and say, you know, I'm, th there's a guy who's an engineer and he, he came as an engineer. And, you know, engineers, like software engineers, are sort of on the downslide after their mid-30s. Um, at least that's how people perceive them. But what he really liked was he loved coaching. 
And so he decided to go get his coaching credentials and become a, uh, an executive coach within his company. And that went so well that he now is, he's, he's branched off and created his own business um, as an executive coaching uh, organization. And he's basically uh, hiring other people to be coaches as well. So, uh, you know, the truth is we have lots of options, lots more options than we think we do, um, you know, in, in midlife. And again, midlife, let's define midlife. Midlife has historically been considered 45 to 65. But I would say that today midlife is a marathon, 35 to 75. And one piece of advice I would give people is learning what it is that you've built in terms of skills uh, is a really important piece of this and how are they transferable, but also learning what to shed. It's time to do the great midlife edit. What are the mindsets, responsibilities, stuff, people in your life, et cetera, that you need to just let go of because they're not serving you anymore. Because if you're running a marathon and you're carrying a lot of baggage, you get tired faster. Love that idea. That's great. I think a lot of people don't realize how they are being weighed down by old baggage and it's kind of time just to let go of it and say enough. So what are, let's talk a little bit about why America isn't right now in an anti-experience mentality. Do you have that sense? I mean, I feel like we're anti-science, we're anti-anything that kind of sticks with facts, experience. Are you sensing that? Could that be part of what the issue is as well as longevity? I, I don't know if it's anti-experience. I think it's anti, um, you know, if you look at the OK Boomer m- meme, um, it, it really comes from a sense that the old ideas don't work anymore. And if you're not open-minded or seeking something fresh and with curiosity, um, people are going to stop listening to you. And I think that's what is at, at play here more than anything. I, I think there, you know, 75% of millennials would like to have a mentor, but only 2% actually have one. So I, I do believe that there's a desire to tap into that experience. The challenge is that for many people with, with experience, they think their role is to almost lecture younger people about how the world works. And that just doesn't work, uh, especially with millennials. So I think the key is, you know, and this is why I think a modern elder is about re- uh, relevance, not reverence. <laughs> reverence is the elder of the past. But relevance means that you better be as curious as you are wise because you have to stay up with what's happening in the world and be open to having a mutual mentorship relationship with someone younger than you, such that they're teaching you, you as much as you're teaching them. And what do you think, if we could list the top three things standing in the way of actually reinventing ourselves, what is that today? All three of them probably are in between our ears. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of it is just, it's hard to change. I would highly recommend everybody who listens to this who's interested in change in their life and why they find it difficult. Watch a TED Talk by a guy named Dan Gilbert, Harvard uh, psychologist, who, who basically showed you, when it comes to your future self, you have no idea how much you're going to change in the next 10 years. He was able to show for people from age 20 to age 90 that on average, people vastly underestimated how much change they'd have. So the first thing is be open to change. Understand that life is liminal. Look up that word. It means that you're in a transitional stage, especially in midlife. Midlife is full of transitions, whether it's getting divorced, having parents die, going through menopause, uh, empty nest, etc. So 
change is a given and you need to embrace it and then adapt to it and be resilient. So that's number one. That's absolutely between the ears. Um, secondly is you need to be open to networking and, 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 and hanging out in fishing holes that you're not used to. Um, what does that mean? It means that if you want to go work for a company and maybe somehow get involved with younger people in, who are in startups, then figure out where are younger people going out and not just socializing and doing karaoke. That's not going to be it. But what are some associations or groups? Go to a summit event. You know, get invited to one of those summit series events, and which has on average people about 35 who are interested in changing the world and have lots of great dynamic ideas around business. Start to actually network in, in groups that are beyond the people you know uh, and are most familiar with. Um, and then I'd say maybe third is uh, uh, get clear on the following question. What mastery can you offer to the world? Uh, here's an exercise we do at the Modern Elder Academy. We ask people to ask that question five times repeatedly. So you're, you're paired off with someone and that person's asking you a question. So what mastery can you offer? And you might, the first thing you might say, maybe quite specific to what your job is today. But then they ask, they say, thank you and ask the question again. And you can't answer the same way twice. By the time you get to the fifth question, I promise you, you've done an archeological dig inside yourself to understand what's the essence of your differentiator in the world. And once you're clear on what that is, um, I know, for example, I'm a social alchemist. So that means I better understand that one of the things I can offer in wherever I'm gonna be is how I bring people together who are quite different, but the, there's a potency by having them together, either on a team or at a dinner party. Um, and so that's something I don't know well, but I didn't know that until I did that exercise and realized that was what I was really good at. And that's part of what we try to do at the Modern Elder Academy. What's the difference and what is the right timing for coaching? Because that is one of the things that I'm running into, obviously, at this time of life is bazillions of coaches out there, some good, some bad. I say coaching has become the new real estate. When you don't know what to do, you become a coach. How does a consumer know, and I do believe that midlife is a great time for coaching, yeah. but how do they know who to find and how to find them? And is that what they need or do they need psychotherapy? Do you have any opinions oh, on that? Great question, great question, Leslie. So first of all, it's the number one question I hear um, on an average on a monthly basis. How, how many times, maybe five or 10 times a month, someone will email me, it happened just an hour ago, and they'll say, I'm looking for a coach. And, and then I have like five questions I ask them because just saying you need a coach, like, okay, it's like, you need a doctor. <laughs> what kind of doctor? What's the, so there's an element of like, what is it that you're trying to solve for? Um, and so you try to find someone who specializes in that. I absolutely believe that it's, it's all about, you know, word of mouth. So the fact that people are asking me doesn't bother me because to be honest with you, there aren't great websites for you to understand who's, who is spectacular at this kind of stuff. But you have to first ask, what's the specialty you're looking for? And then, yeah, in terms of therapy or psychotherapists or, or some kind of counseling, you know what, if the issues are deep-seated and long-term, uh, if they relate to any kind of substance addiction or, or even just workaholism or anything that is really more um, behavioral, uh, that is maybe even more so outside the workplace, then maybe therapy or counseling is, is, the, is, is the path. And there are people I know who are both counselors, therapy, therapists, 
PhDs included, who also act as leadership coaches or executive coaches. So they're not necessarily, you, you, you could find someone potentially who has both of those talents. So yes, there are, I agree with you about the real estate <laughs> analogy though. So in closing, here's, because you gave us a lot of tips. Usually I would ask for tips at this point, but you gave us a lot of great tips and thank you for those and for the podcasts um, and the TED Talks. Question for you. I see mostly men. I don't see this so much as women, but I do see a lot of people who say to me, well, I don't have any ideas for reinventing myself. I only know what I do now. I'm bored to death with it. And I'm just going to stay on the wheel and basically until the end, which seems so sad to me. And I don't know how to say to them that doesn't, I mean, you, you can say it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. But do you see a lot of that? I wonder if that's old think, which is, you know, retirement came at 65 because in the old days you croaked around 65. <laughs> that's why they let well, you retire. Yeah, also, people were working in factories. So, you know, if you're doing backbreaking labor for 40, 40 years and, you know, at some point you, you need to stop doing it. I, the thing that I hear, and it is, I agree it's more men than women, is I don't like change. And I said, do you like irrelevance even more? <laughs> so, I mean, the truth is, if you're not interested in changing, you will become irrelevant. This is sort of a basic you know, axiom, I think we can sort of understand in the world we live in today. And so, uh, you know, also if you don't like change, if you don't want to try some, learning something new, you truly are in the process of dying. You are not opening yourself up with a beginner's mind and a fresh perspective. And you'll find that that will influence all of your life. You will be a person who is not all that interesting to live with or to have a meal with or your basic perspective on life and politics and the world will get narrower and narrower and narrower. And we know lots of people who fit that profile. And I actually think, frankly, people in retirement in the past often did fit that profile. And this is one of the big differences of people in their mid 60s or 70s today, especially with living longer, is people recognize that they need to constantly change. And um, and they should not, you know, to be fearful of change is to be, to f be fearful that you're going to look stupid and not be very good at something. And that's fine. That is a fixed mindset. But a growth mindset is not so much focused on proving themselves. You're focused on improving yourself. And that's, at the end of the day, what we can all appreciate about life is that life is just one opportunity to continue to improve. Ooh, I love that. That's a great way. I was worried we were gonna we were gonna end talking about death. So this is a much better ending then. And improving your life definitely is the way that I look at this. And I can see that you do as well. Any last words that you would like to say to these lovely listeners who are I'm sure so excited to read more about you and find you all over the place? Yeah, the only last word I would say is, don't be scared of the word, word elder. Elder is different than elderly. Elderly is the last five or 10 years of your life. Elder is a relative term. It means that you are, you are older than the people who surround you. When I joined Airbnb, I was 26, and I'm sorry, I was 52 around, and I was surrounded by 26 year olds. To be an elder is actually something that we're trying to bring back and make aspirational, even though right now it's a word that, you know, makes some people scared. 
Yes, I can say not my favorite word at the moment, but I, I will I will hope that in the future we will look at it differently and we'll be able to to be proud of it. I'll wear it as a button then. Chip, thank you so much. Awesome, awesome discussion. And I'm hoping that everybody will go and check out Modern Elder Academy and pick up your books and listen to your TED Talks. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks for the work you're doing. Sure. So I hope you enjoyed this discussion with Chip about the Modern Elder Academy and about rethinking how we think of the word elder. I'm still struggling with that, I have to admit. And how we want to place ourselves in the world after really the age of 45, things are changing. We have a long, long way ahead of us and it can be wonderful if you change your mindset. So thank you for joining us. And if you want to help reinvent yourself, get to the top of the pack, you can give us a great comment uh, in podbean.com or on iTunes. You can rate us and give us five stars. That's how other people will find us. I hope you'll subscribe as well. And I hope you'll join us at cubbyclub.com which is where we have terrific content. And we also hold our webinars, which are on Wednesday nights, where we bring experts kind of like Chip, maybe we'll get him one day, to talk live about what is going on with our lives at this point. So thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll see you next time. Take care.